Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hello, I'm Gail. And I'm Catherine. We are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and we're delighted to welcome you to today's episode. Each week, we showcase vital women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who continue to shatter the myths that we become invisible as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest focuses on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance. And due to the coronavirus, we are all sheltering in our respective homes, so please bear with us if you hear, hear any domestic sounds. Thank you. <laughs> so today we're happy to welcome Mari Frank. She is an amazing woman. She's age, she's 71, and she's been an attorney for 35 years, resolving disputes as a master mediator. She has a master's degree in psychology and is an author of five books, a radio host since 2005, a professor and professional speaker, trainer, teaching negotiations, conflict management, and empowered communication skills nationwide. Mari is dedicated to empowering women to use powerful yet gentle skills to get what they want and deserve in their personal and professional lives. Mari, we so enjoyed getting to know you when we were guests on your show, and now we welcome you to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Well, thank you for inviting me. It was so much fun with the two of you that I was really looking forward to this. As, as were we, that's for sure. You know, you are an expert in women in romance relationships, women negotiating, and women resolving conflict. I'd like to start by discussing with you why you wrote your most recent book, Fighting for Love, Turn Conflict into Intimacy, A Couple's Guide. Tell, tell us a little bit about it. Well, as you mentioned in the beginning, for 35 years, I've been helping people go through divorce. And it's been a laboratory for me to see what does not work and what does work. So over the years, and, and literally hundreds and hundreds of couples, I've actually had 21 couples get back together. Really? So, <laughs> yeah, and that always made me feel good because as an attorney, most people think of an attorney that just, you know, churns the, the conflict and the adversarial process. But as a mediator, I am an attorney, but as a mediator, I try to bring people to come to satisfying agreements that they both can live with. It's good for their family, good for their kids. And so as, as I worked with all these people, and after having gone through my own divorce and now being with my husband now 30 years, um, I practice what I preach. And so I was good friends and still am good friends with my co-author, Leonard Simchuk, who's been for 40 years, he's been a marital therapist. So we said, you know, we should get together and just write a little ebook. Well, our little ebook turned out to be a, uh, you know, 274 <laughs> page book. And what we did is each chapter, we really interviewed people, plus we 
you know, uh, worked on our own relationships. He was in a, in a rather new relationship, so that was great. And I'd been in a long-term relationship, so we would practice all of these exercises with our loved ones and also, you know, really do our research with people that we were interviewing. And uh, we have lots of stories in there. So for us, it was really a labor of love. We wanted to call the book The Gift of Conflict, but everybody hated that name. (laughs) So they said, who wants conflict wrapped up as a gift, right? Nobody. So, um, but we wanted to show that you could turn conflict into really a wonderful experience of getting closer, connecting, moving beyond all of the craziness and really connecting and, and having greater intimacy. So that's why we call it fighting for love, turn conflict into intimacy. One of the things that you talk about that I'm, I'm curious is the dolphin approach. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I don't know if you saw my logo. A lot of people miss it, but the logo on my card and all over the place is a dolphin between two sailboats. And the dolphin is very gentle, yet very powerful. And the dolphin can bring two boats to the safe harbor. And so I'm like the dolphin leading parties who are in conflict to the safe harbor of of resolution, of connection of agreement and that's how I kind of emulate the dolphin that I can be powerful yet I can be gentle and yes I can lead people to some positive results what about older people Mary you know um, what what about women and sex in their 70s and beyond 80s and 90s you know how do, how does that, th- this approach to what you think about, how does it impact our relationship with our significant others or our spouses? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because we have a whole chapter on sex. And what it, it, I'm, you know, over 70. And of course, uh, my co-author was my age as well. It's, we're exactly a month apart. And so a lot of the people that we were interviewing on this and really dealing with our, in our own lives, we went into that kind of deeply. And we found that women over 70 really start to know who they are. And they can really, if, if they're in a committed relationship and they've got um, a spouse or a, a significant other who's really, you know, communicates with them well, they can really let go and really enjoy sex at a, at a much higher level. They're not worried about getting pregnant. They're not worried about what people think anymore. They're not worried if they were baby boomers about being a bad girl. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they can enjoy it more if they're in a committed relationship. Now, if they're in a not, if they're not in a committed relationship, but they're dating people, it is a little bit worrisome because they are more free. And that generation, believe it or not, over 60, has more of the STD problems because they think, oh, I'm not going to get pregnant. What do I worry about? But they do have to worry a, a little bit more about catching some other diseases because they uh, might be feeling more free. So I think it's healthy to try and be in a a committed relationship. And I know for my co-author who was in a relationship and then broke up, he told me, you know, 
that people in, in our generation, those of us who are baby boomers and beyond, that they're making sure that they get tested medically before they engage in a sexual relationship. And once they do, they can just really enjoy that this is really part of what God has given to us to enjoy and touch and connect. And even if you can't have, quote, sexual intercourse, it's so important to touch. And I think now that we're going through this terrible virus that you're not supposed to touch anybody, um, I think it's really important in a relationship to touch, whether you're touching your grandchildren or you're touching your spouse or your loved ones. It's very important. It is a glue that connects you. So getting back to the question that sex is very important in a relationship, no matter how old you are. I remember when my parents were in their, in their 80s, and they were so cute because they would sit on the couch together and just, even though they worked together for many years um, and would fight, they really mellowed as they, after 70. And they were always hugging and holding hands and being very intimate in their own way. So sex is not just about the you know, act of intercourse. It's really about connection and touching. And I think it's so important. Yes, no question about it. And, and as we get older, um, hopefully we get wiser. You, you talk a little bit about emotional intelligence. You want to tell us some of what you're thinking about it in terms of people who are baby boomers and over? You know, that is great. I, I teach emotional intelligence and I teach it to attorneys because we are constantly dealing with people's emotions at a very high level. So people forget that, you know, everyone is really um, affected by their emotions. You have no choice about it. So if somebody offends you, you are going to get angry is how you respond rather than react. So let me just explain what emotional intelligence is and that unlike um, IQ, EQ, which is emotional intelligence, can be learned until we die. In other words, we can constantly improve our emotional intelligence, even if we can't improve our IQ. And that, I think, tells us a lot about it. And it's about being, number one, self-aware, being aware of what you're saying, what you're doing, how you're reacting to people, and how they might be reacting to you. It's mindfulness at the lowest level. Then, how do we manage those emotions? So if someone says something to me that's offensive, do I immediately yell back at them? Or do I take a breath and say, hmm, I wonder what this is about? And then ask, tell me more about it. If someone says to me, you hurt my feelings, you know, and I, rather than say, no, I did not, I would stop and say, oh, tell me more about that. Help me understand what you mean by that. That's being self-aware and looking for more self-awareness. The second thing is managing, as I said, managing our emotions. What happens is, is every one of us has a limbic system. And in that limbic system in our brain are amyg the amygdala, which are two almond-shaped organs in the back of our brain. It's our primitive brain. 
and it is what helps us survive. So we that that we deal with fear. So if someone is looks like they're going to come at you with a knife, obviously your amygdala is going to just jump into gear and you're going to respond, run away or fight back. Okay, that's important. But when somebody says something to you, cuts you off on the freeway, then and you react crazy, that is you're hijacked by your amygdala. Okay, so we don't want to be hijacked. So managing our emotions is recognizing, yes, I feel fear, or yes, I feel anger, or yes, I feel sadness, and then stepping back and questioning, okay, what is it? Or if people are in such fear about this coronavirus, say to yourself, okay, I understand I have to take precautions. I'm going to wear my gloves when I go to the grocery store. I am not going to go and engage with people closer than six feet, but I'm not going to freak out about it. That's being managing my emotions. Then the next thing is recognizing the emotions of other people. And that's something that's very important for me because when I'm sitting in a room or I'm doing now I'm doing mediations by Zoom, I have to watch their body language. If I see someone crosses their arms tightly, I know they're not going to hear anything that the other parties are saying. <laughs> so being, you know, recognizing the emotions of others is really important. So sometimes I will say without assuming, I'll say, you know, I, in fact, I had to do that this morning. I heard somebody, one of my clients on the phone and he sounded angry. And I said, and help me understand, are you angry about what we just discussed? No, I'm not angry. And I go, well, how are you feeling about it? Well, I'm feeling frustrated. <laughs> you know, so, so that's recognizing when you hear a tone of voice, where you watch what somebody is saying, what words they're saying, how they're responding. And finally, how do we handle those relationships? And that's something that I work at, you know, for the past 35 years, all the time with everyone. I want to be, and, and none of us are perfect. And if I was, I wouldn't have to be in this body anymore. I'd be an angel in the sky or something. <laughs> but, but the truth of the matter is we all have emotions and we all need to, one, self-manage, uh, self be self-aware, self-manage, motivate ourselves on how to do things, recognize other people's emotions, and then handle them with kid gloves so that we can uh, have a healthy relationship with everybody that we meet. So that's something that I think what's beautiful about aging is we've seen that things pass, like, you know, things that we thought were the end of the world, you know, we were able to get through it, right? Whether it's divorce or death of a loved one, we've lived long enough to have experienced the ups and downs of life. And I think it mellows us unless we have, you know, some uh, mental problem. But otherwise, I think it mellows us. Don't you think so? Uh, absolutely, it does. And I wish that I had known all of this when my children were young. Yes. <laughs> it, would have, it would have made parenting so much easier 
then now and then uh, than it was for me at that time and and uh, yeah I think you bring up some really really good points you you also talk about the me too issues and how yeah. How, how were you thinking about those in terms of uh, what we need to teach younger women about? Yeah, you know, I, I think, and you know, all three of us are from the Midwest, you know, good girls, right? <laughs> from right. the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, and I think that we, in our generation, we experienced sexual harassment or we experienced oh, this yes. kind of stuff a lot. And, and many of us didn't say anything. You know, or we didn't tell anyone because we were embarrassed. We thought it was our fault, right? And I think that that is changing. And I remember when I was just out of law school, I went to work for a law firm, and that's when I was going through my divorce. And the senior partner called me in, and, you know, I was already a lawyer, but I hadn't been out but maybe a, a year and a half. And, um, and I was going through my divorce, and I had a little – a kid at home and he called me in and you know I was much younger and much prettier and much skinnier than, than I am now and he said to me I hear you're going through a divorce I just want you to know I'll be here for you and I said that is so nice of you he said and you know I know that when you're going through a divorce you're probably not getting any sex <laughs> oh my goodness huh. and I mean I was in shock you know, and he said, so I'll be, you know, if, if I can help you in that arena. And I looked at him and, you know, this was the money that I needed to come in. But I, I said to myself, as you can hear, I'm not really shy. I said to him, I said, you know, I'm really uncomfortable with what you're saying right now. And I know, yeah, and I said, I know you know that this would be considered sexual harassment. And I know you don't want to mean it like that. So I know that you are not meaning to offend me or I know you're not meaning to make me uncomfortable, but I am uncomfortable. And I would appreciate if you would never talk like that to me again. And he didn't fire me and he never did talk like that to me again. He was barking up the wrong alley, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, how many people, you know, can do that? How many people are taught to do that? Do you know what I mean? Yes. I think that that's a really dramatic example, and I'm sure, I mean, I, having experienced some of those myself, but it's also those microaggressions that, that um, are sometimes so subtle that I'm hoping our younger women, I hope we are, and I hope our younger women are more tuned in to what some of those might be. Do you talk about that with your with your clients, with yeah, women. yeah, and I've dealt with. Um, I've actually helped. I've taught sexual harassment to attorney firms, you know, because we had to learn it, and because a lot of the law firms, believe it or not, are real offenders. They're getting mm -hmm. better, but they have been big offenders in terms of, um, you know, they have the power. Most of them, most of the women are not partners in the law firm, so. In, you know, in the medical field and in the legal field, they're, they're really about the worst offenders yet because of the power that these people have. And of course, in the motion picture industry, like we saw. But I think what happens with the younger people is they are getting mad and um, screaming out instead of using their, um, their finesse and like 
what I said, like when I talked to him about, I didn't say, you know, you're a boor, you're a, you're a pervert. I didn't do that. I didn't use you. Instead, I told him how I was feeling, watching boundaries. And I think it's about watching boundaries. I still think some people will use their sex um, to get ahead. And I think some people get angry when somebody says something to them that, that maybe that person is oblivious. Sometimes we have to educate the men or women. Sometimes women are sexual harassers too. I think we have to educate people on their emotional intelligence, which we just talked about, to say the I messages, like, I'm not comfortable with that. Um, I don't want to do that. I don't feel that that's something that's appropriate in the workplace. And, and just be able to say from their own experience what they're feeling and watch boundaries. So what I tell the younger generation, and my own daughter, who's in her 30s, and she's experienced stuff like this, I say to her, you know, don't get mad, don't get nasty, don't quit, but watch your boundary. Set boundaries, watch them, express them in a gentle yet powerful way. Yeah, it's uh, it's such a topic, isn't it? And um, there's so much subtle uh, sexual harassment that goes on. And I think as we get older, we recognize it for what it is. And I worry that our younger women do not. And yeah, so. Yeah. And I think the good news is that all this Me Too movement, people, one person spoke up and then another person. And I think it gave permission for women to to watch their boundaries and for women to to um expect respect and i you know when i i do a lot of divorce of women who have been you know the baby boomers and a lot of them do not know how to watch boundaries a lot of them and this is just i don't know i've had so many in the past couple of years that are wonderful, wonderful women who are married to narcissists. And, mm -hmm. and it's been, it's just been like a whole rash of them. In the past, I've had a lot of women that were just really difficult. You know, I mean, I get both sides, but, but the thing that, um, why I really want to empower women and do some workshops for women on negotiation is they just don't know. They either fight or freeze or mm -hmm. flee, mm -hmm. you know? They get into that, that fight or freeze or flee. Instead of saying right from the get-go, you know, honey, I love you, but I don't want to do that. Or I'm just not comfortable with that. And so one, one couple, a husband was so domineering. And here I am trying to balance the teeter-totter, right, to make sure that they're getting... And, and husband, every time I would say, he would make a proposal, and every time I would say, how do you feel about that? He would get angry at me. It doesn't matter how she feels. This is what we're going to do. You know? mm. <laughs> so I, I had her write down, and, you know, I caucused with her, and I said, every time we go into a meeting, I want you to write down and have it right in front of you. I'm not comfortable with that. Let me think about it or tell me more. Those are the three things that she could say. <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. And did that yeah. help? And that was so empowering to her. 
mm-hmm. you know, because she deserved a certain amount of support, you know, almost a 40 year marriage and she didn't have any skills and he was making millions of dollars and he didn't want to pay any spouses of work. And, um, and so he would intimidate her, but then she'd say, you know, he'd make a proposal and I would explain what the law was. And then she'd say, he'd make some ridiculous proposal and she would say, you know, I'm not comfortable. And then he'd come back to something else and she goes, let me think about that and get back to you. (laughs) (laughs) Gave her time for the pause. You know, when you have a pause, you get out of the emotion and you can get, you know, what happens when we're under stress is we get into that amygdala that I was talking about, fear. Mm -hmm. But if you take a pause and you breathe and you just let, some silence you'll get back into your frontal lobes which is your executive functioning which is your logical mind and then you can make good decisions <laughs> that makes a lot of sense it really does you you um you talk about women in their 70s and beyond and and what what is it that we can teach others right teach society as a whole about aging and and respect for each other. What What is it that we should, what, what do you want our listeners to know about that? Yeah, I, you know, I do feel there is a bias toward people even over 50. Um, and I see that when I, when I do employment disputes. I can understand, for example, when an employer is worried about someone who's going to cause a lot of um, expense for their, if they're self-insured for health insurance. They're worried about that. I understand their perspective, but the reality is when you have an older person that is working for you and they've got their faculties like the three of us basically do, um, that... Basically. Right, <laughs> Sometimes I wonder when I get a senior <laughs> moment. <laughs> right. I feel really good when my 32-year-old uh, paralegal has, has a moment where she goes, I can't remember that. And I go, oh, good. It isn't just me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Anyway, but when those of us who, are, who have got our brains and our minds and our, and our whole psyche together, um, that we really can offer so much, such a wealth of experience and talent and, and skills and all these wonderful things that, that that should be really something that they strive for. Um, and so, but I, I do a lot of age discrimination mediation. And I, and I think that discriminating against people because of their age is a huge error and that they should recognize that they can learn so much. And in fact, my paralegal and I here, she's in her thirties and she's real techie and you've talked to her. And, um, and so we're going to actually do a little webinar on for paralegals on how you can cross teach each other. So she teaches me a lot of technology and I teach her a lot about human behavior, you know, and how to treat people and how to get what you want and how to negotiate and how to mediate family disputes. So those of us who've really been out there in the world, like the three of us, we have so much to offer that, that you know, like in, in 
a lot of Asian societies, they revere their, um, you know, their elder population for all their knowledge. And I think it's about time that we do the same in our society as well. I couldn't agree with you more. And that's a great note to leave this on. <laughs> Mari, thank you so much for being on Women Over 70. It was fun. And uh, I look forward to us connecting again. I sure do. Absolutely. Can I just give my website a couple websites here? So one is uh, Mari, M-A-R-I, Frank.com and Conflict Healing dot com is my uh, website for my radio show and then of course we have a youtube channel and we are just thrilled to share a lot of really wonderful strategies with your women that are listening so yes. thank you thank thank you for sharing that thank you Mari. and listeners we want to hear from you please share your thoughts on facebook at women over 70 ask questions add to the conversation tell us what topics you'd like to hear more about and become an active participant in our community. Our goal is to create a conversation across the generations. You can access our weekly Wednesday podcasts at womenover70.com. And if you know a vital woman over 70 who would be a great guest, please recommend her to us on our website. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.